Hello everyone, it's 2024 and this is the first episode of the year of the Superhero Finder podcast. As always, I'm your host Matt Wilson and I'm flying around the cosmos looking for inspirational stories, people with things to share and lessons learned. So whether you're listening for yourself or maybe you're listening to give something to somebody else, thank you for tuning in. And I'm very excited to be in the room with Izzy. How are you doing Izzy? Hey, I'm good. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm good. Now, is it for anyone that doesn't know who you are? Because there will be a few people watching this that do know, but for anyone that doesn't, would you like to introduce yourself? So I'm Izzy. Um, I'm a single mom. I live in Devon. Um, I've been through some domestic abuse, um, some eating disorders, some mental health, physical health. And I'm just here to tell you my story. I tell you what, for an introduction, that was quite a power punch, wasn't it? You're not, you're an open book, aren't you? Yep. From me knowing you. Which, yeah. Which is really, really good. And I think, especially when you mentioned, you know, domestic abuse and, you know, being a single mum and, and kind of that journey, which I think, you know, it'd be really good for us to to kind of go into. It just shows strength. And this is why, you know, this is why this is a superhero finder. So just put your cape away. And uh, we'll we'll just talk without the superhero suit, if that's okay. That's obviously fine. <laughs> Fabulous. Fabulous. Okay, um, I wonder... So we know each other from TikTok, right? Yeah. And it's been approximately how long? Because it feels like years. So you've been, what, like seven months, maybe, if that? Six, seven months. August? Yeah. Yeah. yeah about six months. Um, time flies when you're having fun. But yeah, one of the does. things that we kind of connected on we've we've talked about on there is my work within kind of violence against women and girls and kind of male allyship and and stuff like that and then you shared with me some of your story on kind of what you'd been through as well what do you want to describe that or tell that in a, in a story that you're happy sharing it was it was not my plan it was not anyone's plan it was it was one of those moments of being a teenager, thinking you've met the one, everyone's telling you different, but you get cocky and you're like, no, I know what I'm doing. He seemed perfect. He was absolutely great. He, although looking back, didn't really support me in the way he should have from the get go. He kind of, I was at college and he didn't, he didn't not support it, but he didn't encourage it. So when I was at skipping college, he'd be like, yeah, spend time with me which I thought was great. I was like, oh my God, this guy wants to spend mm. every waking moment under the sun with me, which like, to me, who kind of had a really volatile relationship with her mum, we're, we're too close, we're, too, we're exactly the same, so we just clash. So, you know, having someone who was just like wanting to spend all their time with me and it'd be all about me when we didn't have arguments was great, um, which left arguments at home. Mm. And slowly but surely, I got alienated from my family and... I ended up getting kicked out at 17 um, because I wanted to spend the night with him. Um, my mum was like, I don't agree with it. It's not happening. If you're going to do that, you can't live with me. And I was like, I'm in love. You know, I'm going to spend the rest of my life with this man. You know, this was four months in, you know, so it it, it went quick. Mm. And then obviously I became homeless. So there was a whole new level of control he got straight away, which I didn't even realise because I'd been sheltered growing up. I didn't know the big world. So 
I relied on him for everything. I didn't know how to pay bills. I didn't know about anything. So I relied on him. Mm. Um, we ended up sofa surfing, which there was no violence. There was no bad stuff for such a time. There was a few bits of name callings and arguments, which, you know, I thought was normal. This was my first serious relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, people argue. But it was it was tainted in a way, and I could never really put my finger on it. And I just figured it was because I'd left home and you know, I, I I chalked it all up to that. Um, we ended up staying for four months with a friend who was also a single mum. Mm-hmm. Um it was it was a weird time. We we were trying to play house when none of us really knew how to play house in a house that wasn't ours, helping bring up a child of someone we didn't really know. <clears throat> um unfortunately during the time we were there um so it happened to the child and we had to we had to leave we couldn't stay there anymore which then put us homeless homeless so we did eight months on the streets um so again i become even more reliant on this man um the violence did start a little bit he got a little bit pushy mm. um but i just put that down to the the stress we're you know we're homeless you know he's he's gonna be angry he's gonna be stressed out it's a little bit my fault because if i you know got kicked out of my mum's house so it had already started the kind of self-blame. Thankfully, we managed to get housed. And that's when everything changed. We got a flat and for the first week, it was everything I wanted. We had no furniture, we had no money, uh, but you know, I, I had a roof over my head with the love of my life and we were gonna, you know, make this perfect little family from nothing. And then he hit me. And I honestly don't think he even registered really like the scale of even one hit. Mm. You know, I was just like, wow, that that happened. Mm. But if we were in a stressful situation, you know, we had this new flat, we'd been through all this, there was history. It's it's all right. I've I'm I'm not easy to live with. And then, you know, one hit turned into two hits and it went south very quickly. So we went from first couple, well, first week in the flat was fine. Two, three weeks in, I didn't get to leave the flat anymore. Um, on several occasions, I was strangled into unconsciousness. Um, he rolled the roast. We had to steal to get food. So we go to the local shop together. So, and I think that's what people forget about the whole hostage situation thing. They assume someone who's been held hostage mm. has been locked away in a room chained up for a period of time and that's not always the case while that was a lot of the case I was locked in the flat and I couldn't leave there were occasions where we did get to go but it was literally with him like he would be almost like attached like an umbilical cord to me and I still thought that weirdly is endearing I thought this man loves me so much that he needs to be with me at every waking moment to make sure nothing bad happens to me in the big wide world. Wow. And I couldn't see it. But what I also didn't realize at the time is it slowly started to affect my mental health. And the beatings kind of turned daily and then it extended into rape. And I fell pregnant. And initially he was over the moon. And I thought, this is the turning point. Like, this is the turning point. Do you know what I mean? He's happy. We're going to have a baby. Things look really good for a bit. And, you know, I thought this, you know, this is the change he needed. You know, we're going to be a dad. And then he decided he didn't want the baby anymore. 
So the beating started again. And I was essentially given the decision of either I can go to the hospital with him and get an abortion or he would beat it out of me. So self-preservation kicked in and I decided I was going to go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, I do feel I was failed in several ways by the hospital and the system. I don't think enough care or time was taken to make sure that it was solely my decision. Um, and I think looking back in some ways, it was very clear that I was being pressured into it. Mm-hmm. But it happened. Um, and then the abuse got even worse. And it got to the point he was drugging me into unconsciousness. I would wake up and he was doing his thing. Um, and that would have been about the time if I pregnant again. And again, he was over the moon, but this time he was more over the moon, happier again. And it mm-hmm. did get good for three or four weeks. And then he got, it, it went backwards, but it didn't go backwards straight away. It was, it started at the beginning again. So he started getting angry, a bit more pushy, but he wouldn't hit me. He would just kind of rough me around. And I thought, well, this is better. Like, I can live with this. So this doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Like, it was like, he loved the baby. He wouldn't make sure that, you know, whatever he did wouldn't hurt it. So we could, we can, we're okay. We, we're still loved in some strange capacity. Um, until we found out I was having a girl. And that was it. He didn't want it anymore. I don't know why, but he wanted a boy. And that's when I decided I, I didn't want to do it again. I wasn't going to lose another baby. I I didn't, I couldn't do it. So I decided to snap back. I woke up one day and he was asleep on the floor and I repeatedly stomped on his chest until he was kind of like lying, rolling around on the floor. And then I realized like that was my moment. And I climbed out the flat window, ran down the alley into the phone box and called 999. To which the poor woman on the end of the phone had to listen to him come down to the phone box and unleash his last beating. Um, and the police turned up. He'd left at this point. Um, they took me to my grandparents. And I I said, oh, no, it's he hit me once. Grand, it's, it was just once. It was a massive argument. It was just once. And I wanted to go back to the flat. So I went back. And he was released 12 hours later. And I dropped charges. At this point, we were evicted from the flat and I was put into a kind of similar hostel for women um, with their children. You could have partners there provided you wanted them. Um, Originally, I said yes, because I was desperate for this little family unit for my baby. You know, no matter how bad he was to me, he could still be a good dad Mm. in some, even though he didn't want the baby in some strange little part of my brain. I needed this family unit. I couldn't survive without him. I couldn't breathe without this man. Yeah. Um, but one day the security guard turned around to me and he said, if you don't want him here, all you have to do is say, him. we just won't let him in. And it was about a month or so later, like it must've stuck. And we were walking in and we'd been in town that day and he'd just been his usual vile self. Do you know what I mean? Of name calling and just belittling me. By this point, I would I was in psychosis and I didn't even realize it. I'd had trauma-induced psychosis. I was seeing things that weren't there. Um, all down to kind of just what I know now is my body and my brain trying to protect me from the trauma I was going through and yeah, you know, was putting a barrier in to protect me. Um and I just decided one day I said, I don't I don't want to do this anymore to the security guard and he didn't let him back in. And and that was the break. Like I needed, like he didn't yeah. let him back in. And that was it. 
I was I was free. Um, and then I met a guy very very soon later who had been in out of prison, who was on on bail, um, for attempted murder. And this guy was six foot four, covered in tattoos, scary looking. Like I would have crossed the street to avoid him before any of this. Yeah. But he stood up to me, stood up to Daniel again when I was around. And that was great. Seeing the guy that had taken my humanity away, human, all of a sudden, because when you're in those situations, for some reason, they're not human. They are, they are God. They are, they're, you can't survive without them. And I still, to this day, don't know how they do it. Mm. Um, and I did four months with this guy and this guy in all fairness was a really nice guy, regardless of the fact he had a criminal record. Um, he showed me that I could do it on my own. Mm -hmm. I didn't need that perfect little family unit that I was desperate for. Um, and he ended up going back to prison. So he decided to end the relationship because he wouldn't have me running around after him in prison and bringing up a baby, which I think is so adult. And now I'm so grateful for that because I probably would have done that, you know, and, you know, yeah. he did what was best yeah. for all of us at the time. But then I went straight into another relationship within weeks because as much as I knew I couldn't do the family thing with Daniel, I still kind of felt I'd failed this baby if I didn't give it a mum and a dad. So I got with an alcoholic, you know, and while there was no emotional or mental abuse, there was still physical abuse. He'd get drunk, come home, beat me up. But this time I'd fight back. Um, and I won't lie in that relationship. I, I'd say I was probably just as abusive physically as he was. I was damaged from my previous relationships and he'd been through stuff too. And together we were just really toxic. Yeah. We loved the bones out of each other, but for some reason we just brought the toxic out in each other. And social services got involved. And I got really angry because all my social services reports said the same thing. They never had an issue with my parenting, so I just couldn't understand for the life of me why they were that. I was like, she doesn't see domestic violence. She's in bed. It doesn't matter. You know, she's she's two. She's a baby. She doesn't understand. Like, it doesn't affect her. And at that time, I truly believed that if, uh, you know, under two years old and she hadn't seen something, it, it didn't affect her. She didn't know. Mm. Um. Obviously, social services weren't happy with this, and they decided that if I didn't press charges for domestic violence, that they would go to court the next day um, and basically take custody of my child. So I went to court the next day and I pressed charges. Um, thankfully, the guy realised I had to go to court, so he changed his plea to guilty, so I didn't have to go through the ordeal of all of the court process because not everyone was ever in his court's not nice for anybody. And I was free from that relationship thanks to social services, but I was still very angry because I felt like they'd taken it away from me. They'd taken this yeah. family unit from my baby, no matter how imperfect it was, it wasn't the first domestic abuse relationship I was in. It was never that bad. So it was dealable, you know, it didn't matter. He didn't do what Daniel did, so it was better 
but it wasn't you know no I, I you know now I know that no level of domestic violence physical mental financial sexual nothing is acceptable um it took me a long time to realize that but we got free thanks to social services and we went through a few more months kind of because I think they wanted to make sure that I didn't go back yeah which at the time really frustrated me because I was like I've done what you've asked like what more do you mm. want from me but now I know like, yeah, they needed me to prove that I wasn't just doing what they wanted so I could then secretly squirrel back and fall into the same trap again. Yes. Um, because I honestly truly believe now that if they hadn't have stepped in, one of us would have died. It was that volatile. Um, and neither of us are overly bad people. Do you know what I mean? We were just too toxic together. Um, and unfortunately, that just happens sometimes. We still love each other. Um, and I think part of us always will love each other. We've always got to love for each other. Yeah. But we know that we can never be together. So we were able to kind of like have those conversations like years down the line afterwards. Um, but I got free from the domestic violence. And I had to do all those courses, like the, you know, all the ones to show that you're a victim and then come into terms with the fact that you know, I was a victim yeah. Um, because I still didn't believe it. You know what I mean? I still was in this mindset of like, well, if I hadn't have done this or this hadn't have happened, he wouldn't have had to have reacted this way. Mm -hmm. um, so it took a long time for me to learn that, you know, nothing was acceptable. But it had an ongoing effect on my health, which took a few years kind of to come up. Um, I kind of lived in denial of it or I kind of hid it or I was dealing with a lot of mental health and PTSD. So kind of that was what was affecting my life. Yeah. Next. <laughs> um, so that kind of took priority and I ended up having to go on some quite heavy medication um, to be able to function normally. Um, and that, again, took a while for me to wrap my head around um, being normal and then being reliant on pills every day to function. Yeah. Really... I really struggled with that because um, let's face it, society does still find it taboo if you rely on medication. It so it, it affected me that way. And then all the health issues started coming up. So I had, I had scarring and things like that on my insides because of the damage I've been put through. So I needed a hysterectomy, but technically because it was what the damage was, it was classed as cosmetic, but it wasn't um, covered under the NHS. So I had to beg for 10 years of literally every doctors I went to, I was like, can, can I get sterilized now? Can I get sterilized now? I'd go for a cold and I'd be like, can I be sterilized? But and I think I just hounded them at the point they were like, fine, if you just stop asking, like we will do it. Um, because I just knew that like, after what I went through with my daughter, and the conception that she had i have got enough to contend with in life and so will she without having to bring the possibility of bringing a second third fourth fifth child in into this world i wasn't prepared to do that i knew that from her beginnings it was going to have to be different from the get-go and we were going to have to live very carefully um because obviously the, the way she was conceived and this man then went on to continue to be domestically violent. He went on to abuse children um, and was on the sex offender register for 10 years. Um, unfortunately, he's off now because 10 years is up. But so I had to live 
I wouldn't say in fear, but that was part of it. It was fear that he would find her and he would take her, yeah. you know, even though legally because of what he was, he, he couldn't take her. There was just still this um, gut feeling that I just had to live. And I changed my whole life. I moved away from everyone. Like I'm still in the same city, but I moved completely different area where I didn't know anybody. I didn't post anything on the internet for maybe four years. Yeah. Like I was terrified that a single picture would get back to him and that one photo would show where we lived and yeah. he'd be here, um, which in some respects was so unrealistic because he'd moved on. He'd found more victims. You know, I was, I was gone. I was but a memory, you know, yeah. the fear never left. And don't get me wrong. There's always, I think still going to be that, Ugh fear in me when it comes to him because of the severity but it's taken me 10 years but we don't live in that fear anymore I brought a, my, well I brought my little girl up with the fact that I knew I had to give her the tools to protect herself yeah. earlier than other kids I knew that she had to be aware of everything but I also knew that I didn't want to damage her I didn't want to damage her future and I wanted to make sure she had a childhood so we made sure everything was age appropriate she knew that you know it was just us us against the world and I've made sure that no matter what we do she knows that as long as we're we're together that we can go through doesn't matter what we go through we will make it out the other end no matter how hard it is and I think that's what's kind of saved me has given her that strength from such a young age of like, we got this, don't matter how dark these days are, as long as we've got me and you, we'll make it through. And she knew from a young age that the guy who, you know, helped bring her into this world was in prison because he wasn't a very nice person. And we we left it at that, you know, we didn't, she didn't need to know anymore. No. Um, kids get curious. Yeah. So the older she got, the more questions happened. And to begin with, it was really hard because you go through so many emotions of do I lie? You know, you don't just have the general conversation then of, you know, as an absent father, this is an absent father who's, who's on the register and who's done some horrendous things. So how do you, how do you age appropriate that? You know, it, it's so hard. So as the years went on, it was just, he wasn't a very nice person, you know, and I was very careful to make sure that I didn't bad mouth him. Mm -hmm. While I'm aware he isn't a nice person, I wanted to make sure that everything I said was free of emotion. So whenever she got the full big picture, yeah. it was all fact. And she could never turn around and go, well, no, you said this because you were upset or angry or he did this and that's why you said that. I wanted to make sure it was all very factual and none of the, like, the emotion was. And, you know, we've recently now had to come down to the conversation of the fact that, unfortunately, you know, the guy who brought you into this world has done bad things to children. And it was a system shock for her to a degree. You know, she was well aware of the fact that he was a bad person, yeah. a very bad person. Yeah. And, you know, she's very aware of the fact that if you're in prison, you've done something to, to deserve it. You know, you've, you've broken a law and you're there for a reason. Next. Sorry. So... Oh. She took it better than I thought she would. And obviously we then kind of had to have, you know, she's 12 now. We had to have the age appropriate conversation of exactly what bad things to children mean. And I, my biggest fear in telling her was 
one thinking of me differently mm-hmm. and two thinking of herself. And I am in the what I class as a miracle position of she thinks neither. She has, I think it's just made her look at me stronger. The fact that I've kept her because she knows, she also knows that at one point I didn't know if I could do it. And there was a chance she could have gone up for adoption at birth. Um, And I've been honest about that because it's, it's part of her story. And she's very aware that she is so loved. She is so unbelievably loved. And that's what counts. And she knows that I have done everything for her. Yeah. And it's also given the mentality of I don't need a dad, which I think is great. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, it's had to come from the, this situation. Um, but she made it. So we, we, you know, we've from something that started out how nothing should ever start. We've we've turned it into something beautiful. She's turned into an amazing little girl who's so clever. She's doing really well in school. And she is nothing like him, which was my biggest fear. And I think it would be anyone's biggest fear in that situation. And it was the hardest decision I think I will ever have. And I think bringing up a child from that situation is the hardest decision and hardest parenting thing anyone will ever have to go through because nobody quite understands. You know, everyone has these jokes of like, you know, well, you decided to have them, you know, and well, yeah, you did to to degree, you know, in the back of your mind, you're like, I'm, but, but I didn't, you know, I, I made the best of the situation I was given. And while I would never change that, I would do everything. I would go through every single second of my life again, exactly the way it's happened because I wouldn't be where I am now without it. I wouldn't have the amazing little girl that I've got. And while it's had its challenges, you know, we've, we've moved on from that. Dex! <laughs> Sorry. Right. He's at the window. There's, there's a <laughs> dog outside. He's got excited. Um, you know, and in with all of that, like, my health was shot. I ended up getting a condition called cyclic vomiting syndrome. So apparently because of all of the stress essentially I'd been under for so long and living in the, is it like the fight and flight thing with PTSD yeah. constantly? Yeah. My body decided that stress, it just can't cope with and it vomits itself into oblivion essentially. If I get overly stressed now, I'm literally sick hundreds of times a day it caused horrific weight loss i went from over 20 stone down to eight in eight months wow um it's a childhood disease surprisingly majority it's something children have right um but it can continue into adulthood um it's something we live with every day so cyclic vomit syndrome i'm nauseous every single day of my life now it's just it's normality for me um, I'm sick most mornings, um, generally because it kind of I wake up and you know, I get that like flood of anxiety with it, the PTSD, and then like I'll be sick, um, and then kind of I look like you kind of get into your own little groove with it, but then like you have the flare ups, and with the flare ups I literally spend 
anything from 12 hours to a seven days being best friends with my toilet mm. <laughs> um and then that added on and because of that and the amount of weight I lost um it, I I lost all the weight and it started eating my muscle um which then caused me to have pots um the heart issue so I had that and then we kind of couldn't function for a while because we had so many health issues. We were bringing Alyssa up. Like it was, it was horrendous. So we started looking into assistance dogs and I originally thought that they weren't a thing here. I thought they were just an American thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I realized that they were here. It wasn't just a guide dog. So I started looking into it more. And like one of the things I did anyway was I trained dogs so I was like, I can, I can convert this. Like if I can get the right dog and I can train it well enough with the, with the right support and the right help, then maybe, you know, I can get some sort of function back in my life. So I decided to go out and buy a puppy. And we, not going to lie, there was a moment of madness after we bought this puppy where I was like, what? have I done <laughs> I have ruined my life I have just added a whole extra stress onto all of this mm-hmm. like training a dog I can't do this while I'm ill like who am I kidding but we were in this situation and we were going to make the best of it so I come here come here okay up where is he he's here so we there got Arlo it oh my god there we go (laughs) so we got arlo and we started training arlo from eight weeks um literally from the from the get-go we started him with his basic training and it was literally just a basic dog training we started off with so we did that and he's so clever he clicked on so easily to anything he he knew sit within four training sessions wow and my training sessions are 10 minutes long so like he was quick and the fact he's a lab meant he he was already good at retrieving so that was the first thing that I kind of taught him to do was to get my sick ball so his first task was to go and collect my sick ball when I was going to be sick because sometimes you get into that the toilet is just it's just not an option Mm. and I noticed he started kind of like not, I wouldn't say alerting because he hadn't learned it at this point, but he would definitely react to me a good 20 minutes before I'd start getting sick, before we, I even started realising that I was feeling like I was going to like start vomiting. Right. So I was like, okay. So I started posting in the like, assistance dog groups on Facebook, like to other dog people that had trained the dogs. And I was like, like, he's doing this. And they said, he's made for this. Like he is a natural, like if he has got, the ability to sense whatever it is he's sensing, feed, whack out what it is and feed it. And we worked out that Arlo was actually allowed into my blood pressure dropping. Wow. Um, he could, I don't know whether he could smell it or just sense the difference, but he knew. And it was generally, we worked out since with the doctors that he senses it just before it actually drops. So he knows before the drop. And I don't know how, I, I still can't explain it myself. So we, you know, we started kind of getting him to kind of, when that was happening, we'd get him to jump up at me because 
I'm pretty ignorant sometimes. If I'm busy, mm. like coring at me is going to do nothing. I'm going to leave me alone. I'm busy. <laughs> so we thought Arlo to start jumping up and getting in my face. And he took to it so easily. And then he just started taking other things upon himself. Like um, when I, I've passed out a few times and he would lie on my chest and like nuzzle me awake, which was already the start of something called deep pressure therapy. Um, which is another task which is done with assistance dogs. Right. So, you know, I was lucky in the fact that kind of everything come naturally. Um, and over the past two years, we've now trained Arlo to do a full task list. Um, but his main tasks are to alert my blood pressure and heart rate changes, to which he will jump at, up at me and make me sit down so I can kind of re-regulate those things. Um, he can retrieve anything dropped um, and collect things at name. So I can do like go get a sick bowl, my pass, bank card. He can pay for things and carry my my supermarket shopping. Wow. Um, which everyone in my local shop loves. I'm not allowed to pay anymore. They make the dog pay just because I think it excites <laughs> them. They can give it to Ilo, please. Um, he, what else can you do? He can go and get help um so if i have an issue where i'm being sick and i passed out he can kind of go and get my daughter or if i pass out and about he can go and find somebody in uniform um he's trying to find someone in high vis or uniform um to bring back to me um he is slightly mobility trained so he can brace to help which means he would help hold himself still and sturdy enough so i can get myself up and down off of the floor um he has slowly become in the past two years my lifeline um while it came with its own set of challenges as someone with social anxiety everyone now looks at me um because i have an assistance dog um it does bring a lot of questions so i've had to kind of get over that social anxiety factor because i didn't have an option everyone wants to know about the dog so you got to learn to talk to people um it gave me the ability to kind of go out and not have to worry. Yeah. I know that like, on a, I mean, on a bad day, I still won't go out just because like being sick in public is a little bit embarrassing still. I'm not going to lie. Um, but like, even on days that like aren't really bad, but are still like a bit grotty, I can go out because he can give me the ability to say, well, actually you're not in a minute. You're going to crash. So I can go the dog shouting at me. I need to kind of, and now, given the fact he's kind of got 18 months experience, kind of because he really started proper working himself at six months old yeah. by his own volition. Um, I now have got about a 15 minute warning with my pops, both I'm up and about. Yeah. And I've got about a four minute warning with um, my vomiting syndrome flare up. I find that really fascinating how dogs can sense that stuff because we've seen in the media that there's dogs that can sniff out cancer and things like that. And there's obviously these kind of waves of smell or the sensitivity of the nose or something like that, that yeah. is tuned to something like that. How, how has that changed your life then knowing that you've got that support there? And as you said, you called him your lifeline. It's, it was weird to begin with, like put in, your health in the hands of a dog to some degree yeah takes a lot of faith um and 
it was it was hard to wrap your head around because there's always at the beginning there's this moment of like what if they get it wrong yeah what if what if it's not too quick or what if and the more i thought like that the more i was still stuck and it was a case of like biting the bullet and literally putting my faith in him and he just blew me away this dog honestly takes everything in his stride um, he he wants me. Again, that he wants me to be healthy. Do you know what I mean? He he's my, he is the lifeline. Lifeline is literally the only way to describe it. Like without this dog, I couldn't go out. I couldn't live a relatively normal life. I would be stuck at home. Um, yeah, he's he's my normality basically. It's fantastic. It's a really really inspiring story, especially from that. And I just want to kind of go back because I realized that not everybody will be able to listen to or not everybody will be able to speak about an experience like that you've just described kind of from yeah. your life growing up in such a I suppose in such an intricate and and descriptive way I mean is there anything that you've learned from that because you said that it had, you know you, you would go back and and do it again in terms of it's created who you are today. So you're obviously very yeah. proud of who you are. Is there anything that you've learned going through the process that perhaps anyone that's going through anything similar knows anyone going through something that could perhaps kind of help them or that you could pass on? No matter what decision that you make, it's the right one for you. Every decision I was trying to make when deciding to leave domestic violence, when deciding to bring a child up from that situation, I kept basing it at the beginning on society and what was socially acceptable or what could be socially easier. And it made it harder to, to come to terms with or to, to live with. And the moment I started realizing that every decision had to be made for what was right for me and mine, regardless of society pressures and what society says is okay, is is what I had to do. And it's okay to do that. It's it's okay to have moments where you doubt your entire existence, you know. I think bringing up a child from that situation is probably the hardest form of parenting you will ever have. You go through a guilt stage where you want to give them everything because you feel the need to make up for for where they came from. And that doesn't work. It it brings up a self-righteous child who thinks they, you know, they know everything, they want everything. And you've got to give yourself a break that even though that's where this came from whether you decided to go down the route that I did and bring up the child or whether you gave that child up or whether you went down the route of an abortion it's okay and I'm I'm proud of you and society's proud of you because it's not talked about enough there are so many women out there that are bringing up these children mm. and they're too afraid to say that this is where they came from because people look at you different because they issue, they don't get how you can do it. And don't get me wrong, I still don't understand in some ways how I've done it. You know, I look back and I'm like, wow, how did I get through that? Yeah. I 
I don't know, but I had to, you know, I had to make sure that to me, that that little girl was mine. She wasn't anyone else's. She was my little girl. I was mum and I was dad. And I said that to myself from the get go. And that's kind of what helped push me through. And knowing that every decision that I made and when she found out my story and her own story, she could stand up and say that no matter where you come from and how dark a situation you've been in, you can make whatever you want to be. It might not be perfect Mm -hmm. and it might not be what society says means you've made it. But from where we were to where we are now, I've got a lovely... 12-year-old little girl who's doing well at school. I've been running my own business. I've got, you know, my assistant's dog. I've got another dog. I've got an amazing group of friends around me. And there are people that haven't been through that that can't say that, that haven't made it to where we are today. So no matter where you've made it afterwards, you've you've done it. You've succeeded. You've won. And that that's, that's what gets you through. Wow. I've got a question now that's been kind of bumbling around my head um, before I mm. want to get onto something slightly different, but I'm yep. going to ask this question first. Is there anything that anyone could have done to help you get out of what you were going through? Because, and the reason I the reason I said just for a bit of context is I know that you've you've said before, and 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 we know it's very common for some of the tactics of someone that's controlling and, and, and showing those signs and, and abuse and everything else is that you rationalise everything based on it. Well, it it's okay because I'm hard to deal with or it's okay because it must be partly my fault or, you know, there's always a reason why it's okay almost to, as a survival piece. Is there anything anyone could have done to, to get you out of there? So if anybody saw what was happening or if, you know, family as well you know is there anything it's gonna sound really crazy but the more people tried to tell me it was abuse the more shut down I would was gonna be deep down I think we all know we all deep down we all know the situation we are in is abuse we all know deep down we are all just living in this denial of self-preservation with someone that we feel we can't breathe without if someone had literally said whichever way you're going to do, whichever you're going to do, I'm going to support you. I think I would have had the strength to have stood up sooner rather than everyone trying to tell me that I was in a bad situation, that you had to get out because it it did the opposite because you're then like, I don't want everyone else to be right. And, and to some degree, I know it sounds weird, but pride does does have an effect on, we don't want to be a victim, you know? We don't want our marriages or our relationships to fail. We're we're women. We're supposed to make them work. You know, 20, 30 years ago, you know, it was normal. It was legal, you know, on the side of things, which is sad, but we're still on the tail end of that as society. And it's something that society we are still battling against and still, still something that we're working on in society that's becoming better. But we're not quite there. I'm glad you've said that um, because it's really difficult as a, as what we call kind of an active bystander 
in a situation mm -hmm. like that where you see the signs and you see what's going on. And I've experienced something similar in terms of people trying to help me in a situation. And it is, it's that inherent. No, I'm you all you almost become empowered and say, no, I'm making my choices and, and it's not as bad as you're making out and you know it's gonna be all okay. And then it yeah. takes you deeper into into the issue, doesn't it? And there seems to be very few people that can that do go, I hear you, I'm concerned for you, I hear what you're going through. Whatever you decide to do, I'm still here for you. Because that's really, I think that's really hard to do. I think it's 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 valid to say that that's really hard to do, and not everyone is equipped to do that. No, no, they're not, and it is. You know, I've been, I've had to ask friends of that, and they're not here anymore because they couldn't do that, and that's okay because they had to do what they had to do to keep themselves mentally and physically mm -hmm. safe. Mm -hmm. and you know I've also been on the outside where I've had to be that for my friend. I've had to sit there on the outskirts, and it is so hard not to get involved, but. The more you get involved, the closer you are pushing them into into staying in in a weird roundabout way. And I know, verbally, it sounds weird, but that that is the grand scheme of it. Because at this point, you're already so far in that if anyone badmouths that relationship, it's just instilling what he's told you. He's told you this is going to happen yeah. months and months ago. This man told you that these people are going to say these things, and now they're saying it. It just feeds into what he's created. It does. It does. So I want to change the tone a little bit. Yeah. If that's okay. In fact, I want to change it so far that it's unrecognizable. Let's flip it. I would like to know if you were a superhero, <sighs> what powers would you have and what would you use them for? Because I love the superheroes because this is why it's a superhero <laughs> finder, right? So I just thought, indulge me. So I'm really sorry, like, we're going to have to say talk to animals because, like, yeah, animals are awesome and it's me. I'm a dog person. But I think I would also like the ability to see the future. Not for myself and not for, like, the big things of, like, winning the lottery and things like that, but for, for those people who need guidance... And not to tell them their future, but just to kind of be like, maybe this is what you want to pay a little bit more attention to. Just yeah. to maybe ease those people into making better decisions without affecting the big scheme of things massively, if that makes sense. You know, being that like secret little good person yeah. that helps change their future for good, but nobody really knows about it. Almost I did like it in the idea a sly of, way. Yeah, almost like the idea of the watcher. Yeah, from the outside that can just help yeah. nudge because you can see yeah. what's going to happen. I like that. That's a really kind of holistic power, isn't it? No, I love that. Well, do you know what? It's been absolutely fascinating um, finding out because even I didn't know, you know, even even as as friends online, we, I didn't know some of the stuff. And thank you very much for for being and for allowing yourself to be so open and honest about it. Um, there's loads of other things that I'm sure we could have spoken about, but yeah, time. <laughs> time yeah, <is> time. <laughs> and Arlo wants to be back on the camera as well. So for anyone that is listening rather than watching, Arlo's now on the on the camera. Try to take over, taking his limelight. 
yeah as always is if anyone wants to or are you happy if anyone would like to follow in this episode ask you any questions or get in touch about anything is there a way they can do that that you're happy with yep if you just look up my tiktok it's apocalypse dogs um and put any questions in the comments follow me drop me a message and i can get back to you or on the comments on the video wonderful and if anybody's failing that get in touch with me my instagram yep. is there i always do it the wrong way um and <laughs> a strong one and i just want to say guys if you are watching you'll have seen this link above it's been on episodes for a while now for the price of a coffee or probably less than like a Costa Express from Tesco Express or whatever, um, you can support me in carrying on making these episodes because this is a labour of love um, and I don't get paid for it. I never wanted to get paid for it, but it does allow me just to to, to spend the time out with my other jobs um, creating that. So please feel free to have a look. If you're not watching, then you'll need the link. It's www.patreon.com slash the kindest strongman. And for now, that leaves us only one thing to do. And it's two words that I always finish my episodes with. And I would like to say from me and from Izzy, stay super, everyone.